Today I'm speaking with Ravi Coltrane, who will be playing at Bird's Basement from September 14 until Saturday 16 September. Ravi is the recipient of a huge legacy of both his parents, John Coltrane and Alice Coltrane. Both were extraordinary musicians, and in the case of John Coltrane, of course, his influence is still being felt 50 years after his death. I found Ravi in a hotel in Sydney as uh, Bird's Basement is presenting him at the basement to the great joy of Sydney jazz fans. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Thanks for calling TFP Central Reservations. You're speaking with Andrea. Hello, Andrea. Can I please speak to Ravi Coltrane? He is in room uh, uh, 421. Coltrane, one moment, thank you. Big day. We work with you to create your dream event from Will You Marry Me to I Do. Hello. Hello. Hello, Hello Ravi. Yes, Albert, can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Good to hear your voice. Good to hear yours as well. So, Ravi, it has been 18 months already since you've opened Bird's Basement. 18 months? Yes. That feels like it was um, uh, It feels like it was only a few weeks ago. Exactly. Uh, Ravi, 18 months ago, I remember you had a back problem. And uh, in between... Yeah. In between sets, you had to lie down and so on. How is your back doing? <laughs> My back is uh, its much, much better, much better. You know, it was about a six-month ordeal dealing with uh, the sciatic, sciatica and the, and the pain that was shooting down my right leg. Uh, but um, it was strange. Uh, I never had used any ice before, and there was a few days where I was sitting on ice packs for about six hours a day, and in a week... Uh, the sciatica, it was gone. Oh, that's so. that's uh, good. I remember I had a sciatica in my early 30s. It was debilitating. I couldn't go for a run. Yes, it yes. was just totally. It came out of nowhere. Uh, eventually, I found a chiropractor who could take care of it. Um, but I'm glad you, to hear that you're doing fine. I see you touring a lot. Yeah, it's actually been a very uh, busy uh, few weeks. Uh, we uh, went to Aries um, just a few weeks ago, and of course we uh, were in Beijing and China uh, earlier uh, this week, last week, uh, and two stops in Australia, uh, and then I go to San Francisco <laughs> for a week. <laughs> Fantastic. That's, we that, that for that's, a couple nights. You're living the life. I would love to, to travel less right now and spend more time uh, with my, my son uh, in, uh, in Brooklyn, New York, and spend a little more time practicing and relaxing a little bit. And, and uh, You know, it's been 26 years on the road, and uh, I, 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 I'm very happy and appreciative of travel, but, uh, but it does, uh, it can be kind of a... Uh, well, you know, I think there's, 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 there are other things in life. How old is your son, Ravi? He's 11. No, I have two boys, William and Aaron. And William is uh, he's 17. He'll be 18 uh, uh, next month. And he started uh, college. Uh, so we're very excited about that. 
that. And, uh, and the youngest boy, Aaron, he's 11, so he started, it would be nice to spend a little bit more time with the young man before he goes off to college. Uh, well, we're separated right now, but now she's, uh, she's, uh, she's not a musician, and, uh, but we did meet uh, when she was managing a jazz club in Boston. Uh, we met in 1991, and she was managing a club called the Regatta Bar, and I was playing there with uh, Elvin Jones at the time, and, uh, and uh, that's, that's how we met. It's been there for a very long time, very long time, and um, yeah, it's not. It's a, it's a nice room. It's a little unusual, and um, you know the ceiling is a little bit, a little low. <laughs> you know, makes the sound a little bit too, uh, too, uh, you know, uh, direct. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I saw lots of great great bands play there. I saw Joe Henderson play there many many times, and, and Freddie Hubbard and and John. Uh, Schofield with Joe Lovano, and uh, that was uh, a great place to hear music. And how was it to grow up in the Coltrane house? Oof, well, that's, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, growing up was, uh, parts of it were unusual <laughs> and uh, a bit unique. You know, my mother was, uh, you know, traveling, uh, world a lot during that time she was also getting very much into her spiritual life and you know she started uh, an ashram you know a, a spiritual center for you know for for you know studying and and uh, you know being involved in all the spiritual practices uh so they, you know that was a little unusual being a kid and 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 uh, and, uh, and, and witnessing all But, um, you know, my mother was very, very kind. My mother, Alice Coltrane. And, uh, you know, after my father passed away, you know, she, um, she, you know, just continued to be uh, just a very, very, very strong uh, human being, you know. And she had four children to raise, and she did it, you know, on her own. She never remarried or anything like that. She put all of her efforts and time and energy into you know her children and her music and also mm -hmm. her spiritual work of course uh, so yeah you know it was a, 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 you know an unusual childhood in, in many ways but also very very normal I was born in New York and uh, born in uh, 1965 August and uh, we, we lived in Long Island So how, how old were you when your late father passed away? My mother well, was terrible, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's okay. He passed away in July of 67. And, uh, so you were just uh, two years old. I turned, yeah, I would have turned two years old uh, You know, a month later. August, well, I did turn two <laughs> a month later. 
Yeah, I was just shy of my second birthday when he passed away. And yet when we fast forward and uh, you've played with so many uh, people that have played with your dad, uh, I'm thinking of McCoy Tyner, for instance, um, and uh, how did that feel to play with those great guys that played with your father before yourself? Did you have the impression you were filling his shoes? <laughs> no, not, not so much. I felt more like I was with uh, family members, like, like these were like my uncles and, and uh, uh. you know, members of, of my family, you know, I feel that, uh, you know, they reached out to me uh, in that spirit, I believe, you know, Rashid Ali, I spent lots of time with, and um, and he was he was like a second father to me in many many ways, you know, and uh, you know, so I I only felt uh, you know very very well uh, supported and and loved, you know, these these were great 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 uh, people, Eldon and Rashid were incredible uh, musicians, they were incredible human beings. Uh, McCoy is is. I mean, just, just a, a master and, a, and just uh, just an incredible person to be on on the stage with. You know. But I but I but I could tell that yeah that they uh, you know I think the time that they spent playing with with John really it obviously it, it really touched them and it moved them and it and it, it, it shaped them in so many different ways that uh, when I got to New York in the early '90s I think that they you know they wanted to embrace me and, and maybe maybe uh, give back or, or <laughs> a little bit, you know, you know, you know, what they received, you know, um, you know, playing uh, with my father during those, those years. I think they, you know, they wanted to sort of pass that on to me in some kind of way. And uh, when you decided to play the saxophone, you had already obviously discovered the sound of your father or was that later but you had to make a conscious decision to get, go there so i'm very curious to know the journey how how did you get there well you know music was always something that um that i responded to you know even at a very very young age i just had just a just a love for music you know and you know obviously that was instilled by my mother in many ways, you know, she used to play, uh, you know, lots of different types of music in the house, you know, she was, was a great admirer and fan of, of, and yes, and very much influenced by her as well, you know, um, yeah, I think she always sort of kind of let us know that the music was always there and, and available uh, for us, you know, her sister, uh, her sister's name is Marilyn McLeod. She's actually the last of uh, the McLeods that are living. Um, she was a, a, a great musician. Uh, she is a great musician as well, and uh, was a songwriter uh, under contract with uh, Motown during the 60s and 70s. You know. And she wrote uh, some songs for Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye. You know, and uh, so the, the music... You know, there was just a lot, a lot of music always happening in the household, and just um, so um, you know, when I was, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess about eleven or twelve, I started playing the clarinet, and um, and, and I played that, you know, through school, you know, like all through junior high school and high school, and 
know, I played in the marching band, all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and this was sort of during a time where I, I, I started thinking about, uh, well, I, I thought, you know, about, uh, you know, studying classical music and, and going on and, and hopefully, you know, trying to pursue a career as a clarinetist. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I was also very much into film and photography uh, at that time, so I thought about even studying that. Um, and my mother, again, was very supportive of us, and she never pushed the idea of jazz on us or the idea of we have to follow in the footsteps of the father or play saxophone. She, she just would kind of wait to see uh, which things interested you know, and what, what things kind of motivated her kids, you know, and, and what interest, that, you know, uh, you know, that she could support, you know. Um, but the only time she gave a little indication was, uh, I guess, maybe on my 16th birthday, she, she, she uh, bought me a, a soprano saxophone, <laughs> you know. Mm. So uh, I, I wasn't thinking about the saxophone. I wasn't thinking about playing the saxophone. I was enjoying playing the clarinet, but, uh, but she bought me the uh, soprano. And uh, and I started playing that, you know, I started playing that in the marching band, you know, uh, and uh, and was enjoying it very much, you know. I I I I, uh, I wasn't listening to a lot of jazz at this time, you know, and um, you know, I uh, my older brother, my uh, uh, my brother uh, John Jr. He uh, sadly. Uh, was killed in, a, in an automobile accident uh, in 1982, and uh, that was my last year of high school. He had just graduated high school. He was planning on going to college and maybe even playing football. Uh, but after he passed, yes, very, very close. You know, we're, we're just a year apart, and you know, he was my big brother, and uh, um, you know, so and his his death was a real shock to the family. It was a whole shock to you know our sense of reality, really. You know. And uh, so I stopped many things. I stopped playing the saxophone. I stopped playing clarinet. You know, my head was. You know, we were just again very. It uh, it just shifted us. It was a big big shift. You know, to, to lose him in, in that way. Um, so yeah, I moved away from music for for many years and wasn't thinking about it at all. <laughs> and what um, were you doing during those years? Did you? learn something else, another skill, what were you doing? You know, I was, I was being a, probably a typical uh, 17-year-old kid in uh, the San Fernando Valley, you know, in the early 80s, you know, and uh, you know, a lot of hanging out and socializing and, and experimenting with, with, you know, alcohol, you know, and, and, and trying to, you know, Chase girls and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I, I think, I think honestly, I was trying to, to find myself, and I was trying to understand really what, you know, what the whole purpose, uh, you know, was. You know, what, what, what we were supposed to be doing here in the world. You know, again, you know, losing uh, John Jr. in the way we did. It was, it sort of, it wakes you up. I think my childhood officially ended. You know, that day. And um, you know, it it just it makes you question things, makes you question life and existence. You know. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I spent I spent about about three or four years just sort of floating around. I, I call this my floating period. <laughs> you know, working odd jobs and um, 
I was reading lots of Stephen King novels during that time, and you know, and Stephen King, you don't, you don't uh, really get to feel better after you read a novel of his. And so, if we fast forward, uh, when is it that you started? Um, that you went from sideman to frontman, and that you started to do to develop your own sound. Because what is extraordinary is that it's very rare that you uh, that you get two generations in a row. Uh, that are as talented. Uh, the fact that you came uh, from the saxophone and reinvented it and invented your own sound, find your own self, um, I find that fascinating because you have your voice, Ravi, and it's not the voice of your father. And to me, that's, uh, that's the story. I'm interested to know when you made that shift from Uh, playing as a side guy and just becoming a leader? Well, um, you know, I, I was very fortunate to work with lots of really, really uh, amazing artists um, throughout the 90s. And, um, and I really enjoyed that time in my life, you know, um, being a side man. You know. Uh, because there's so much to learn and there's so much to pick up, you know, from from uh, the leaders and the other members of the of the groups, you know, and uh, and again, and I was very fortunate to play with some real masters of the music. Um, but it was probably, you know, I started um, I started leading some small small smaller projects, you know, kind of around 1996, you know, just you know gigs around New York. Uh, you know, no touring or anything like that really happened until uh, probably around 90, 98, 99. You know, it was kind of when I did my first record as a leader. Uh, that came out, in, I guess, 1999. And, uh, and I probably did my, uh, I guess, my first tour as a leader uh, that same year. Um, you know, I, I, I love being a side man. I don't. I don't Unfortunately, I don't do it as much as I, I used to, um, and um, and of course, so many of our, our great leaders are not, are not here anymore. You know, and, um, but um, yeah, I I, I, I kind of started kind of working on my own, you know, and, and putting my band together, you know, around uh, around '99 and you know, in 2000. Mm. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, I'm 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 still still going. You know, hopefully, you know, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, there's uh, a few more, uh, you know, musical places to to uh, to, to reach. You know, you know, I still have uh, goals as a, as a musician, and I still feel like I'm I'm still working towards uh, a lot of those. You know. We're talking about practicing before. Can you give us a little insight into your practice? What sort of drills do you do, or <laughs> what is the mental gymnastic that you go through? <laughs> well, the hardest part about practicing now is just finding the time for it. You know, I mean, when I when I lived alone and before I was married and before I had children, it was. Uh, 
Uh, it was very easy to practice, <laughs> you know, and I, I was working less and traveling less during those years. And uh, uh, but so now, yeah, my my biggest uh, you know hurdle is 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 just trying to find the time. But um, you know, I I I, I don't have a, a set regiment or anything like that. You know, I think that uh, you know for me, you know, having a, a you know, it's a lo more like a loosely structured, you know, r routine. You know, if I can, <laughs> if I can work on, you know, uh, you know, scales for a half an hour or a long tone for a half an hour, that's that's always great to work on sound. You know, mm. and uh, you know, but but also spending time writing is 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 also really important too. You know, when I was younger, I I used to transcribe more and do things like that, but. Uh, you know, uh, I, I do less of that today. But um, but yeah, I, I I just I work on whatever I need to work on. And so you are bringing a, a terrific band with you. I noticed that Kushabedin was uh, the drummer you had last time. You uh, you have a different drummer this time around. Uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about every musician that are coming with you? Sure, sure. Uh, on this trip to Bird's Basement, um, we have a, you know a group that was uh, uh, similar to last year, but um, our, our original drummer, uh, Jonathan Blake, uh, is going to be appearing with us this week. And uh, I've been working with Jonathan uh, for uh, maybe about four or five years now. And uh, and he's a very very powerful powerful drummer. His father was uh, John Blake, played violin. Uh, he worked uh, primarily with uh, McCoy Tyner uh, back in the day, and uh, uh, and you know John is you know Jonathan is one of the busiest drummers out here. Very very strong powerful drummer. Uh, Desron Douglas is also returning uh, uh, this year, uh, and uh, he's one of the most sought-after bassists right now in New York. And uh, Glenn Zaleski, who's also with us last year, is also returning. And uh, and the band is is playing great, and we're we're featuring music from all the you know, different members of the group, you know, their own original compositions. Uh, and yeah, and I think the battle will hopefully be warm by the time we get there. <laughs> yes, we'll you are you are playing in Sydney at the basement. We're presenting you at the basement basement this time around. How are you finding it there? And Sydney, we performed last night, and uh, and uh, man, Sydney is a beautiful city. I mean, it's a, just a, just a spectacularly beautiful city. Uh, and the gig last night, I think, went went very well. There was a, a good attendance, and we played a long set. It was almost uh, two hours, <laughs> but the audience uh, they hung in there with us the whole way and seemed very uh, enthusiastic by the end. Uh, so yeah, we we had a good time last night, and and hopefully we'll have even more fun tonight. Yes, and we are certainly looking forward to having you uh, in Melbourne, Ravi. Um, you have uh, um, a few minutes before you get ready to go to to the to the show, so I'm not going to hold you back. 
So thank you so much, uh, Ravi. It, it was uh, absolutely perfect. Well, I do look forward to coming back and, and seeing you again, and I, I do appreciate you having us uh, this year. You know, and uh, and I do uh, wish your mother uh, the warmest regards. Thank you. And uh, and for you to have a safe trip as well. Thank you, Ravi. We we're looking forward to it as well. Thank you so much, Albert. Bye, my friend. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I enjoyed speaking with Ravi. I suggest you rush to Bird's Basement and listen to Ravi and his band. They, they are there until Saturday 16th of September. I let you enjoy this track of Ravi Train. It's called Between Lines. Until next time. Thank you.